Hello, everyone, and welcome to Joe's Tango Podcast, where we have eye-opening conversations with all types of fascinating tango professionals. I'm your host, Joe Yang. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to all you first-time and newer listeners. Really glad you're here. I hope you're all doing well and staying safe and sane. Really quick before we start, if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a quick moment to subscribe and leave a five-star rating or review. That really helps a lot. Okay, my guest today is an internationally renowned guitarist. He started playing the guitar as a teenager, and while he was in college, he took part in a study abroad program, traveled to Argentina, and discovered tango. For the next 20 years, he traveled back and forth between New York and Buenos Aires, learning everything he could about tango. Eventually, he started his own group and began creating his own original compositions. After having studied with many masters, my guest today relocated to Buenos Aires, where he lives today. Among his many accomplishments, in 2018, he was chosen to perform both as a soloist and with his group at the Guitarras del Mundo Festival, which is the premier guitar festival in Argentina. Today, he continues creating music and tours the world, giving performances and lectures. All right, and with me now is Adam Tully. Adam, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. Hi, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah. So I've noticed that you've been doing a lot of these really wonderful live stream performances on Facebook. Now, is this something you've been doing before, or is this uh, something you mainly started doing because of uh, during the during our our lockdown? No, this is this is a, a lockdown. First of all, thank you for the kind words about the show. Yeah, that's great. Uh, this is a this is a lockdown quarantine special, and it's probably the one thing that I that I'm doing now that I wasn't doing before. Uh, this was my wife's idea. My wife Salt. She is also my manager and uh, does all my PR and social media strategy. And she said you should do something a live thing where you're jamming with other musicians and you're talking to people. And it won't be a concert. It'll just be like a short show every day. Mm. And so we gave it a shot, and we really are liking it, and we've been super consistent. We've done it every day. Mm -hmm. There have been 42 of them now. Nice. <laughs> and, and what we do is I play a little bit, and we chat, and she's off screen and chats with me and you know says some funny things, and we do it all <laughs> in English and Spanish. Mm -hmm. And I show some of the guitar things I'm working on, and then we have a special guest every day who comes in and does what I call a virtual duet, which basically it's the technology is not really in the hands of most people to be able to play music live over the internet because there's a, a delay. So w the workaround we came up with is my duo partner records their half of a duo and sends me the video. Mm. And then I put them on a screen and on a computer and I press play and then I play along with oh. this person. Yeah. Nice. And it's really fun, and it's created some new musical challenges for me and new opportunities. So the whole thing is a blast, and, and we're feeling pretty happy about doing it. And I think after the quarantine is over, we'll we'll do some version of this. Mm -hmm. Great. Maybe not every day, but... Right. Yeah, that's great. I'm really glad like to hear from a lot of creative people like yourselves or other teachers. Like They're still learning and doing other things to, to manage, and they're actually coming through with some really creative ideas. So... We're all staying with it, which is awesome. Yeah. yeah, there's there's a lot of group videos, you know, of you'll see orchestras or tango groups. I have, I have a lot of obviously tango guitar friends, so you'll mm -hmm. see duos and quartets of people, 
you know, or a guitar and a singer or whatever. And there's there, it's interesting. There's it's a new challenge. There's there's interesting things you can do with it. But one of the things I, I really like about this is I realized the other day, is it's causing me to play with people that I wouldn't normally play with, and even play styles and repertoire that I wouldn't normally play, because it's it's comes in these little bite-sized pieces. Mm-hmm. So for me to play with, like I played with a jazz saxophonist the other day, that would never happen in real life because that would imply us putting together a rehearsal and a gig and having a project and repertoire. But this was just, hey, send me two minutes of you playing and then I'll play along with it. Oh. So I think if you can if you can look at it. I, I try to look at all the opportunities that this situation is presenting and mm-hmm. go for those and not think about because if you concentrate on the other side like I can't do this, I can't do that you'll spiral exactly, <laughs> exactly. anguish yeah. so in terms of tango what are some, I guess, some new tango things you've learned either utilizing this, this technology or uh, amidst the, uh, the quarantine well a, a big category and this is something I try to just incorporate into my life in general is repertoire and it, it's really important for a musician to have a lot of repertoire um, especially, I would say, in Argentina, and especially guitarists, like we do, spend a lot of time accompanying singers. Mm-hmm. Like there, there are guitarists that have. When I when I moved here four years ago, I realized, or even before I moved here, that on average, the musicians that I knew here knew so many tango songs. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like there's no limit to how many more new songs you can learn. And I wanted that in my life anyway, so I'm not always playing the same repertoire. Mm-hmm. But uh, any anything like any opportunity to learn new songs, and it normally happens like I was referring to earlier. I'll I'll have a gig and I'll be working with a singer or a musician that I don't normally play with, and you know maybe I'll learn eight new songs for that show, nice. and and that's great. And I try to keep them, I, I try to add them to what I know. Mm-hmm. And this is the same thing. It's just one-offs, and it's great because I'm. It's almost like there's no restrictions. I can just learn almost any style. So I'm just, whatever the other person proposes, let's do that. And like, for example, Argentinian folk music is something that I've always loved and I've dabbled in, but mm-hmm. I never considered myself really someone who plays it seriously. And, and you know, any opportunity I get to play folk music and learn more repertoire, I take it. So that's that's one aspect. And then the other thing is maybe not tango-related or not limited to tango, but it's the art of accompanying another Mm -hmm. musician so sometimes in music we play and we all have kind of equal roles and sometimes you're a musician and you are your role is to support another musician or a singer and that's a whole art unto itself and it's sometimes it's not flashy but when you do it really well Mm -hmm. you can make the the ideas you make the other person shine you make them sound as good as you as possible mm-hmm. and that is if the other person is a, a professional or if they're an amateur you know you do everything you can and i've seen masterful accompanists do this mm-hmm. where they make someone sound as good as they can mm-hmm. and with the virtual thing i'm looking at that as an opportunity because when a person sends me their half of the duo i hear them but they don't hear me like when they when they did what they were doing they weren't hearing me so mm-hmm. I have to adjust to every little turn of what they did, every nook and cranny. And if they had like a shortcoming, I try to, you know, put some makeup on that. And <laughs> if they did something I didn't expect, well, I have to learn to expect it and rehearse with it. So 
that's a nice aspect of working in a in a new and an unexpected way. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, all these little new challenges and we're we're still getting better even though we're we're kind of stuck. Yeah. I think that's the name of the game. And as as I'm answering your questions as a musician, I'm wondering if there are parallels in the dance world because you guys are probably, you know, like your your bread and butter, your thing that you do, mm-hmm. you know, requires you know, literally embracing somebody, which you yep. can't do right now. Yeah, it's it's tricky. I, I've been creating some online courses. I do have a class for people with Parkinson's disease. And, um, you know, I've been having to make instructional videos for them. Of course, it's not quite the same as being there. But yeah, yeah you do. We, we, uh, we do what we can. We do what we can. Yeah. 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 And I think a lot of these online tools, uh, you know, they're, they're so new to us. I was talking to a friend about this last night on his live feed. They were kind of thrust upon us. Like we didn't, we weren't prepared for this situation right. mm-hmm. and it's like day one of lockdown. Now everyone has to learn how to use zoom, you know? <laughs> so mm-hmm. we're kind of learning as we go, but I think as, as frustrating as some of these things can be, they, mm-hmm. they hold so much potential. If we, if we just experiment and we're patient and we accept that it's a different reality mm-hmm. rather than fight it and say, Oh, I'd rather be in the same room with someone. But I, because I've been actually teaching online for about three or four years now, Mm-hmm. Uh, regularly because I have students in the US mm-hmm. and what I learned through teaching online is there are a number of tools you can use you, you you can't expect it to be the same experience as being in the room with someone yeah so you have to find the tools that work and then exploit them to the maximum so I I do a lot of exchange of video and audio recording with the student mm-hmm. and then I keep a log of what we're doing in the lessons which helps them stay focused mm-hmm. and and it's really useful for them so and then I'll, I'll even do like what we call multi-track recording where you know I could record uh, several guitars I could play myself play, you know me playing with myself with three of me you know or one of me mm-hmm. and I can actually the technology is it's not that hard to use and I can have the student I can say you know I'll play one part of this and you play the other part and then send it back to me and then you know and we can go on and on like that. So I think it's it's great to hear that that you and the dance world are mm. are thinking of new ways because I think if we can let go of the thing that we can't have right now mm-hmm. and then look at these new tools and say what can I do with them and be creative. Right. You know maybe we'll be surprised and come up with something that in the very least will get us you know keep mm-hmm. us going forward until mm-hmm. this is over. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because uh, when something like this happens, you know, look for the other doors that open. Don't yeah. cry about the doors that have closed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So a little bit about you, Adam. You started playing the guitar as a teenager, I understand? That's right, yeah. Yeah. So what drew you to the guitar? When I was 14, I, it, was, it was rock and roll, really. I mean, I, I grew up playing classical music and singing in choirs and you know, uh, classical church choirs. So from a very early age, and I grew up in a household that, that we listened to music. My, my mom's a piano. She's not professional, but we listened to a lot of classical music and jazz, and my parents listened to some, you know, 60s folk rock. <laughs> but, you know, after playing piano and cello for several years and, and loving them, I just, something in me changed, and my friends were playing rock and, like, in rock bands, and I was just dying to do that. So I begged for a guitar, finally convinced my parents, started with that. I was really, really into it. And about a year or two, maybe two years in, 
uh, I switched schools, and and the guitar teacher was a classical teacher. And I borrowed a classical guitar, and I got really into classical. And my teacher said to me, "Oh, you really seem to like the Spanish music. <laughs> you should take flamenco lessons." I, and I grew up. I spent most of my time growing up in Washington D.C. I was I was born mm -hmm. in New York, but I I lived in D.C. and there was a guy, a flamenco teacher from Spain who had a guitar shop, and I went and took lessons with him, and I fell in love with the flamenco. And mm. I was studying Spanish at the same time, and I just got, my dad says, I just sort of went to that guitar shop, and I had found my little world. And I got really into flam flamenco music and speaking Spanish, and I wanted to go to Spain. And then I ended up, when I was in college, through a girlfriend that I had at the time <laughs> coming to Argentina because the idea was let's go study abroad somewhere in a Spanish speaking country. And she found this program. So <laughs> that, that's kind of like the, the trajectory of mm -hmm. me picking up the guitar and then mm -hmm. getting to where I am now. Yeah. Now while in Argentina, you discovered tango on that trip. Yeah. So I, I kind of took you through. So I guess you asked me, like, when did I start playing guitar? Right. And yeah. Why? And it was first it was rock. And then that mm -hmm. turned into like what I like to call the Spanish and Latin universe of the guitar. Spanish music and Latin American music. You know, that there's kind of a universe, all these different styles. And I was already I had one foot in that because I was so into flamenco. Yeah. And I was speaking Spanish. And I said to myself, if I'm going to be in Argentina for six months, I, I need to find out what Argentinian music is all about. Mm -hmm. So I, that was my idea. I played flamenco and I played classical guitar, but my idea was, okay, what's this tango thing? <laughs> <You know? laughs> let's, 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 let's try to make the most of this. And so I started, and this was 1995, you know, mm -hmm. there was no internet, there was just newspapers and there were, right. there wasn't a lot of tango here either. Mm -hmm. um, there were some, but there wasn't the, anywhere near the type of scene that, started to come up in the 2000s. So it was mostly older people, and there was a there's a municipal orchestra, the orchestra of the city of Buenos Aires, which is still active. And I went to see them, and I bought a few cassettes, and I was like, you know, here and there just trying to figure out some information about, here's what a orquesta típica sounds like, here's Carlos Carvel with guitars. Mm -hmm. And um, th in this orchestra, there was a guitarist, and I had no idea who any of these people were. And after one of the shows, I went up to him and said, do you teach? Could I take lessons with you? Nice. And he said, yes. And this guitarist was Aníbal Arias, who was one of the great tango solo guitarists. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, he actually played with Aníbal Troilo wow. and his quartet, uh, replacing Ubaldo de Lío near, near the end of Troilo's life. Mm. He played in, in that quartet. And I started taking lessons with him, and some of the first tangos I learned were from him, from arrangements that he gave me for solo guitar. And I have a relic that he gave me that I sometimes put in like blog posts and, mm -hmm. and social media, which is, he said to me, bring me a blank tape. So those of us who are old enough remember uh, the days of cassettes yep. <laughs> and blank cassettes and taping stuff. And he said, bring me a tape. And then at, I brought him a tape, and at the next lesson, he gave it back to me with his hand lettering on it. And it was, uh, he had recorded an LP of his that was Troilo Grela, which is this quartet with Aníbal Troilo and Roberto Grela, who was, you know, mm -hmm. we, we consider him the greatest tango guitarist ever. Mm -hmm. And they had this amazing quartet. And he gave me this cassette and he said, listen to this. This is the best <laughs> tango ever recorded. Wow. You know, and I still have that cassette sitting on the shelf. I don't really have anywhere to play it. But mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so that was it. That was the beginning of the end. I There was something about the music that I really, really liked. And I took that home to New York with me because I was in New York at the time. Mm -hmm. 
and um, that was it. You know, I was for a couple of years still into flamenco and classical guitar, and I got into Cuban music. I was sort of into general, like I said, the Spanish Latin universe, Latin American music. But eventually, the tango found found me and claimed me 100 percent, as they say <laughs> that it does. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah, flamenco is great. It's kind of funny. I I also studied abroad um, when I was in college. I had the option to go to Spain or Argentina. I actually went to Spain. Yeah. Um, I I didn't know any dancing back then, but I did pick up some Sevillana dancing, and nice. that was that was really fun. So, yeah. So your first time playing tango music, like what, like when you first tried it, did it? How did that? Um, what kind of impression did that make on you? Well, it, it, there's there's sort of two phases, and um, I'll I'll take you into the next one, which is and in just a second, which is kind of when I started playing with other people. But mm -hmm. the first, my first exposure was, you know, on that first trip to Argentina in '95, and really all I had to go on was playing in the guitar lessons, listening to my teacher play because he, he played solo guitar. You know, this is this is taking one guitar and just playing a version of a tango on the guitar. It, it's one way to play this music, but it's mm -hmm. not the only one. So I was learning how to do that with him and listening to him and he was amazing and then I was going out and, and seeing orchestras play I was seeing the the orchestra of the city of Buenos Aires and any chance I could get to see some type of small group playing tango any whatever it was mm -hmm. I was seeing it but there wasn't much to go on and then it was recordings and uh, you know after that trip I went back to New York and I was I would try to just buy tango recordings mm -hmm. and I had some idea of the character of the music by by watching not only the musicians play live but the people react to it. Mm. You know, I would remember certain things like the way the ending felt like the last two chords of a tango like how relaxed they felt and how how particular that ending was. It wasn't like in classical music going chan chan, it was like a very specific mm -hmm. kind of way and then I noticed how like the audience would get so into tangos and certain songs and like they would start applauding before the song was over as it was like coming to the and I was like wow this is like a really particular type of music and it's got a real character to it so my my first that was like I had a feel for what the music was without having played it with anybody really mm -hmm. you know and then I just had a thirst to play it and probably the first time that I really started playing with other tango musicians was in 2001. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had gone back to New York and I was just doing, I was doing Cuban music, I was doing a little bit of everything. I was getting into solo guitar and doing recitals of classical and flamenco. And I had this point in my life where I decided professionally and artistically, I need to stop doing so many different things. I don't want to be the guy that you hire for a wedding and says, I'll play any style. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to, I want to focus my personality and my artistic vision and you know and at that same time i i ran into i, I guess i was invited to go to a tango show this i this uh, guy who plays bandoneon had moved to town david hodges he was from portland oregon and he still lives in new york i believe and a mutual friend connected us and david said hey let's go see this this there's some live thing with like a bandoneon and a guitar mm -hmm. and and we got there and the sign said there's a singer called El Pulpo. And we were like, who's El Pulpo? <laughs> and Pulpo was this tango singer who was singing with um, a, a duo of bandoneon guitar. It was Tito Castro and Pancho Navarro, oh, who yeah. are two masters mm -hmm. of, of tango and Argentinian music. 
in the New York area, and I got to know all three of them, and I got to know Pulpo, and he was his real character, and he was, like, singing, and he's an actor, and he's into literature, and he was, like, sort of connected to the tango dance community, it seemed. Um, and he is still a good friend of mine. We worked together for many years. We had a group together. We had a couple of different groups. Uh, he's in Argentina right now. He got stuck here during the quarantine. Mm. Um, but he he's based in New York most of the time. And when I go to New York, we, we play. I was there in January. We did a gig together. And I met him, and, I, and he said, I want to start a band. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm, you know, I, I want to do the same thing. I want to have a group and just sort of focus on one thing. And it was almost so again, it was like Tango found me because at that point in life, like I maybe could have gone in a different direction, but it just, it sort of seemed meant to be like the Cuban music thing. Like I love Cuban music, but I don't think I'm really the person to play that style of music. Tango just has so many, so many interesting things about it that seem like they work with my character mm -hmm. and I started playing with Pulpo and we started learning together how to play tango and then I had I really had an opportunity uh, to play with the, the first time I played with a great master and that was with Tito Castro and it was at that same yeah. time mm -hmm. you know like I subbed for Pancho or I don't remember exactly how it all worked out but I remember doing we started doing gigs uh, with Tito mm -hmm. and this is a guy that just played you know plays uh, yeah. the traditional style he can accompany singers really well mm -hmm. he can play any any standard repertoire and really have the right feel for mm -hmm. everything and it was the first time i saw bandoneon up close really and and played with one and then you know so i guess this all came from your question of what was it like to play tango for the first time and yeah. it was kind of like i i think the moment had been coming for several years for like five or six years you know i had been hanging out with the music and I had been listening to it and playing it on solo guitar and actually um, now that I'm talking out loud I'm remembering mm -hmm. I put together groups I, I it's not I not that I'd never played tango before I had played it but it was yeah. like I would get my friends you know who played classical or mm -hmm. jazz or whatever and be like do this <laughs> and it was kind of the blind leading the blind and this is actually an interesting point a lot of us uh, I think that live in places outside of Argentina, if there's not, a, for a musician, if there's not a strong group of musicians that know how to play the style, mm -hmm. you are sort of orphans. I, I had a friend, uh, my friend Octavio Brunetti, the late, a great Octavio Brunetti said, we are like orphans because there weren't, there wasn't a generation of masters above us. There were like, you know, he, one or two or three every now and again, you know, and we were lucky enough to play with Daniel Binelli when he, when he was based in New York. I played in his quintet a couple of times. Mm. I played duo stuff with him, and I learned so much. Mm -hmm. But the so to answer your question, what was it like to play tango? It was the at first the blind leading the blind. It was me just trying to devour recordings and trying to figure out on guitar how to do it, mm -hmm. and then get my friends to play with me. <laughs> and then it was Pulpo and I basically learning together. We we put together a repertoire. I learned a lot from him in terms of repertoire. Like, these are the songs I like. This is the type of tango I like to sing. Mm -hmm. Here's some cool recordings. And we just figured it out, you know. And then whenever I got a chance to play with Tito Castro or Raul Jaurena, another bandoneon player, mm -hmm. or Daniel Vinelli, or, you know, Octavio, uh, basically, he, he was my same age, but it was as if he was a guy who was my father's age who had been playing tango his whole life, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Or uh, pa Pablo Mainetti came through town once and we played with him. So 
uh, any chance that I got to play with the master or with Pancho, the guitarist, you know, he taught me a lot too. It was sort of like we, I think a lot of us in New York in the 2000s were really thirsty <laughs> to play with with the greats. And the same thing was happening here in Argentina. The the people of my age, you know, I'm 45 now, is the generation that created the Orquesta Escuela, the, the orchestra, the school orchestra mm-hmm. in about 2001, 2002. Uh, and uh, Fernandez Fierro, the the tango orchestra that's kind of like rock tango, mm-hmm. you know, with the rock aesthetic. Those are all people that when we were in our 20s, they were like, hey, tango is cool now, or I, I, I would mm-hmm. like to reconnect with this music. And the music had almost died. You know, it was like after a generation of, of rock, basically, the, the people that played tango and, and lived and breathed it were sort of getting super old. And it had dried up. So suddenly this generation came along of 20-somethings that were like, teach me how to play. Mm-hmm. And thanks to that uh, orchestra school, they've now, I think, something like 300 uh, musicians have graduated from that program and are out playing tango. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so, you know, as we were in New York sort of being orphans and listening to recordings and just figuring out, they were down here, you know, mm-hmm. trying to connect with... <laughs> all of the, the, the maestros who are still living, mm-hmm. and they got a lot of work done. So nice. Nice. I'm happy to, to have been able to connect to that you mm-hmm. know, later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in the early 2000s, actually, I was living in New York, and that's when I really started getting into tango as a dancer. I, I remember the first time I saw Tito Castro playing. I didn't understand tango that well, but then it, it really blew me away, and I saw everybody reacting to it, and I'm just thinking, yeah, something special is happening, even though I, yeah. I don't really know. Now, were you doing gigs with Tito between 2001, 2002? Yeah, okay. yeah definitely. I'm wondering I'm, <laughs> you, if I might have seen, seen you. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, every time he was doing some sort of live performance, I'd always try to make an effort to go, so yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think the probably the years that I played most with him were those first years, 2001, 2002, okay. 2003 maybe. I, it, it's hard for me to remember completely because in 2001, when I started our group, and it was at first it was just the two of us, then it was two guitars and singer, and, it, and then it became four guitars. Okay. It kind of, you know, and, and we did that until through, I think, 2008, 2009, that was our, our main thing. And I would just do gigs. Like, you know, it was a handful of musicians in New York. Yeah. And we would all do whatever gigs came up, and we all played with everyone. Mm-hmm. So I played with Pablo Aslan. I played with, there's an accordion player named Guillermo Weissman that I used to play with. When I remember doing Lafayette Grill. I played with Tito. Right. And yeah. then I played with Guillermo. And I remember playing, you know, often, like several mm-hmm. times a month. And then the different piano players, um, Mauricio Nacht, Emilio Telval, mm-hmm. Gustavo Casenave. You know, so there was sort of, you know, Pedro Giraudo, the bass player, who was mm-hmm. later in my trio with Emilio. Um, but it was like there were so few of us. Mm-hmm. And we played at Milongas when those gigs came up. And then we all tried to sort of start some semblance of an artistic project <laughs> and, you know, mm-hmm. play in a bar or play at private parties. And, you know, mm-hmm. so nice. and actually, you know, in my last couple of years in New York, I really I had been playing repertoire for so long and I started feeling like I don't want to just play standards my whole life, uh, you know, tango standards. I mm-hmm. want to start writing my own music and do a project that's a little more original. And I think I was feeling that, and some of the others were. Um, and I started my trio in 2015, Adam Tully Trio, mm-hmm. and recorded right before I moved here in 2016, and then the album came out here. And I think 
simultaneous to that, some of my colleagues who are, are still in New York, a lot of them are Argentinians who, who play jazz, mm-hmm. who moved to New York to play jazz, and then Tango found them. You know? <laughs> and it, I'm really... I mean, one of the reasons I moved here to Buenos Aires is I just wanted to do more original music and play nice. tango, play, write my own music and play with more musicians and learn more repertoire. Because I felt like New York, I just there was a limit to how much of that I could do. Mm-hmm. So it's been really nice for me to see all of my friends and colleagues back in New York, like a number of them starting groups that are really oriented towards being an original group and playing original arrangements and original music. There's a, there's a group called Colectivo Tangente, mm-hmm. which is, I think, a quintet or sextet, and it's all friends of mine, and they're all writing their own music and recording it in New York. And like that's so cool because for most of the time I lived there, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have my trio play in original tangos and they weren't doing that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were all just sort of we were trying to make make the rent basically, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and just play. if a bar gig came up or a private party or milonga, we did those. Yeah. 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 It's great that you're, you're doing original stuff. I mean, I love hearing as much as I love hearing modern orchestras, you know, reinterpreting those classics. I mean, what I hear from you and a lot of other musicians that we got it, we got to move tango forward keep it alive by creating um original original pieces yeah so what are for you what are some challenges to creating original tango pieces well uh i think i I can think of a couple things that i think are um maybe even go beyond me that but that i that definitely affect me as a composer of of music and original music and you know trying to find a voice in a genre like tango you, you have something very particular or peculiar that happened with the music, which was that it was very conservative for many years. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, one of the things I do when I teach, I teach seminars on like music appreciation of tango mm-hmm. is I compare the timeline of tango with the timeline of jazz, which m- many people have, the, you know, you can sort of think of the big band era and what bebop and all that. Mm-hmm. And so the tango that we dance to, you know, if you're a social dancer, mm-hmm. is a, from the 1940s, mostly, that decade was the boom. Yeah. And that's sort of equivalent to the big band era. And there's a lot of parallels. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a large orchestra that's playing for a social dance. Mm-hmm. You know, swing dancing, big band, it's the same thing as Orquesta Tipica and um, social dancing and tango. Mm-hmm. Like, very equivalent in terms of the time period and the, the situation. Mm-hmm. And then after that, as those trends sort of became reduced into smaller, you know, the the, the natural progression for musicians and composers and, cre- and creators is to take that type of musical form, which is social dance, and is functional, it's, it's utilitarian music to be danced to, and see where else you can take that and it, it turns into what we would call art music, you know, music for sitting down and listening to, music that might be provocative, you know, and then that's when Astro Piazzolla came along. So in jazz, I, I kind of think about tango as like, it's like as if in jazz, an innovator came along like John Coltrane, someone who was really avant-garde, but there's only one of him, mm-hmm. you know? There wasn't like a whole <laughs> movement. And that's kind of what happened in tango. It's not completely true. There were some others, mm-hmm. um, but he's the big giant, and he also is the person that made tango, um, you know, appeal to the world and made it universal. He wrote music that, non-tango musicians could play around the world mm-hmm. but what he did was he wrote Astro Piazzolla music for musicians to play you mm-hmm. know it, I 
consider him to be very much a tango musician, but he very much did his own thing. Mm -hmm. But there was also just one of him. So a thing happened to tango artists, and I'm saying all this because I'm, I'm going somewhere with it. Okay. In, in the post-Piazzolla period, you know, he died in the early 90s, like 91 right. or so. Mm -hmm. And his musical language had so impregnated the way that tango musicians played tango and heard tango and arranged tango. Like you can hear all sorts of recordings from the 80s, for example, mm -hmm. that are not Piazzolla. They're just like a tango singer with an orchestra, you know, and it sounds like the language that Piazzolla invented, right? Mm -hmm. And it's it's really easy to get stuck in Piazzolla language. So one challenge, if you're a composer in 2020, or even if you're a composer in 2000, you know, was how do I do something original that doesn't sound like Piazzolla? And then what is my other option? Is my other option to sound just like a Orquesta Tipica from the 40s? Maybe that, but it sort of felt like really easy to get trapped in one or two of those things. So I think that's a challenge, and I found the answer by, for me, at least for now, by trying to find my musical personality through the things that move me. Mm -hmm. So I really love Aníbal Troilo as a composer. It speaks to me. I love Julián Plaza as a composer. That mm -hmm. speaks to me too. So I have a style that I compose in mm -hmm. that I think is kind of derivative. It's like a neo-traditional tango sound, right? That I, I know that I write tangos that you know sound like they're in that style. Mm -hmm. And then when I put them into practice with my groups, I think I add elements that are more about me. I grew up listening to jazz and classical music and rock and I got into flamenco. So I think if you if you listen to my music you'll hear some of those elements cohabitating, you know, and then I've had times where I've tried to not go completely outside of tango, but maybe go outside of that forties and fifties like traditional tango language that I love so much and add other things to it. So, but you know, it's it, it the, the Piazzola Piazzola is like a magnet for a tango <laughs> composer and that you're sort of trying to go around and avoid mm -hmm. because that I've, I've heard people compose in a Piazzola style. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other magnet is just writing something that sounds like it was written in 1942. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with any of those things, but yeah. Th those are a couple of the challenges mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that I found. Yeah. yeah. Do you write a lot of music that's meant to be danced? Uh, here's a th that, that's a good question. Here's kind of what I feel about the about tango music and dancing and not dancing. Mm -hmm. I, I think there are different situations. I think sometimes there's been like a tension between tango musicians and tango dancers over yeah. this issue. <laughs> like what what should it be for? And you know, mm -hmm. sometimes for the musicians it feels like the dancers are just so. Uh, one track mind like all they want to do is dance to records from the 40s and like mm -hmm. and that's understandable because that's your thing that you do um, and then dancers will say yeah but these musicians want to come to our milongas and they want to just jam out on a thing that sounds like piazzola and you can't dance to it you know <laughs> and and yeah. and they're also right mm -hmm. so i think it's about situation um mm -hmm. i enjoy playing tango music for social dance and i've over the years learned how to do it and i learned that there's a way to do it and it's the thing that you do when you're playing at a social dance. Otherwise, why mm -hmm. are you there? You know. Mm -hmm. So that's a situation that I that I enjoy, and I have compositions that I've written that can be played in that way. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones that are sort of in that traditional style, like Troilo or Plaza. Like I can take 
compositions of mine like El Nueve or Vals Mio, and I have played those at Milongas, like me and a bandoneon player, mm-hmm. and it's right in the pocket with every other, you know, standard repertoire that we would play for a milonga. Mm-hmm. But you could take the same piece of music and play it in a way that is suitable for dancing, and you could also play it in a way that is probably not ideal for dancing. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of one thing. I, as as a guitarist and a person who loves, I, I you know, I love the experience of sitting down and listening to music, mm-hmm. and that's the way I am. And some musicians, a lot of musicians are, and and I think there are fans, there are music lovers that mm-hmm. do that too, that that don't dance. And I really enjoy one of the reasons I enjoy living in Argentina is that there's a scene for everything. So I spend a lot of my time on a scene which is about playing in small cultural centers and theaters where there's an audience sitting there and the musicians are playing on stage and mm-hmm. you know and then another situation I really like is tango with singers guitars and singers which mm-hmm. is like almost a whole sub world and there are you know concerts for that and there are get-togethers there are informal get-togethers there are these panias that are almost like live band karaoke for tango singers mm-hmm. like just you know regular neighborhood people and that's a fascinating underworld that I've I've, I was lucky enough to work in a little bit a couple years ago and and be a part of. So I enjoy all of those things, but but I think it's a healthy way to think about it is is just to recognize what uh, each situation is and what it calls for, mm-hmm. and then decide you know and decide how you're going to approach it and and how much to, how much you like it and how much time you want to spend mm-hmm. doing it and and you know maybe that can that can so anyway that's a long way of me saying I don't. I don't think that I specifically write music for dancing to. On the other hand, um, my music, a lot of my music is danceable. I mean, I think the the most important thing for someone like me to understand is what is quote unquote danceable. What's appropriate for a social dance situation and what's not. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've played with my trio at uh, at social dances, and mm-hmm. there are some pieces that I w- I know that I won't play at those. Because mm-hmm. it's not a good idea. It's not. It's not what you you're asking for mm-hmm. from me. Um, but I do push the boundary a little bit. I mean, I've you know I go out there and play music that I think some people, even some musicians, would say, "Oh, are you sure you're going to play that on Milonga?" And I've tried them, and people dance to them, and and then applauded afterwards. So <laughs> I was like, "Okay, that worked." And then I have some of my compositions that are in that traditional sense. Uh, I'm going to be arranging for a sextet here in Buenos Aires, uh, actually the bass player that plays my trio mm-hmm. has a sextet that is super traditional. It's the, the sextet is, it was put together to play at Milongas. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, could you arrange this tune and this tune? You know, he asked for certain songs of mine because he felt they would be appropriate for dancing. Mm-hmm. And I agree with them. So I think it's really about the way that you play the music. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that being said, I'm sure there there are some things that I compose where you know, let's be honest, let's get it. This is this is probably <laughs> not the best, most danceable thing. But I, I just write music as a as a musician, as a composer. I write the music that I feel moved to write in that moment. I don't really understand why I write. Composition mm-hmm. has been the most mysterious thing I've ever done. I don't <laughs> understand. I, mean, I understand how to play guitar. I understand how to practice guitar and get better at guitar mm-hmm. and like what I need to do. But composition is like this thing that I approach from 
10 different angles and then it changes and I don't understand what happened. So. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, so, so uh, the first time you performed uh, at a Malanga for dancers, uh, you know, because it's not just a sitting audience, this is a group of people that are, that are moving around to what you're doing. Uh, did that, was that a pretty easy transition for you or was that kind of an added challenge to deal with? I was lucky enough that I think the first time, if I'm not remembering correctly, the first time I played at a milonga was with Tito Castro. Mm. And if not the first time, it was within the first three times. And in that first probably six months to a year of me playing tango in New York with other professional musicians, mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time playing with him. And it, it was intuitive. It was sort of like I had watched him play with Pancho Navarro. Mm -hmm. I had listened to the record that they made and then with him it was basically just like do this you know he just he would say because he would he's a musician who could play by ear mm -hmm. you know and i am too i you know i, I read and write music but i can also play by ear mm -hmm. and it was completely intuitive it was just nice. here's this tune it's in c minor follow me or we're gonna play this one a little slower right here you mm -hmm. know that type of thing or it ends here you know and it was very intuitive and it was kind of like uh, jump in the water and see if you can swim, and it was the uh, the best sort of apprenticeship because it's you know mm -hmm. learn on the job type of thing. Yeah. So I got that sound in my head. I saw what worked from the way that he was playing and the repertoire that he was playing. And then over the years, I also started to learn more things about milongas. Like I didn't know anything about a milonga when I first started playing. I didn't know what a tanda was. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand that you know you you danced in these tandas and you and I didn't understand that when musicians played they could play in tandas or not or that there were orders that seemed to work or not work mm -hmm. and in later years with Octavio Urunetti when when he came to New York and I started playing with him I would play milongas with him and we would sit down and plan what we were going to play and make the order and he he told me let's do this here's a good way to make a set for mm -hmm. a milonga and he said, I learned this from an old tango musician that played uh, milongas in Argentina. Mm. You know, kind of like, I guess, the same way that a DJ, not necessarily a tango DJ, but any kind of DJ would sort of play the room and be like, or the way that a musician programs a concert. Hey, let's try to end with a bang. Let's, you know, let's go up and down. Let's keep their attention this way. Mm -hmm. There was a similar logic to the way that Octavio planned the set list. So it, it also became very apparent to me in those early years of playing at milongas that you know you had to play a certain way mm -hmm. you had to mark the rhythm a certain way and there were certain things that really seemed to work and others that didn't but yeah i was fortunate enough that that part of my development i didn't have to figure out my own mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah just kind of diving right in with it and yeah if you're with tito castro that's got to be an awesome experience <laughs> exactly yeah now just out of curiosity back back in the early 2000s did you ever play at uh the Belle Epoque restaurant when it was still open oh yeah yeah oh, okay yeah. that's probably where I must have that seen was, you. <laughs> yeah Belle Epoque was for those who don't know or who weren't in New York in the 90s and, and I think it closed in 2002 or three or two, four that thing was 2000 I, yeah it was late it was yeah uh yeah it was probably it was after 2002 I believe but, yeah. yeah don't quote me but on that. around then and mm -hmm. it, for those who don't know this was the most beautiful mm -hmm. tango event in New York it was the most beautiful Milonga it was the most beautiful place the place itself was just so mm -hmm. it, like the name says it was a Belle Epoque style there was a balcony in there this 
dance floor. I don't know. As I'm not a dancer, so I don't know if the dance floor was good or bad, but the vibe of the place was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, the dance floor was it was tile. It wasn't ideal. It was funny. There was this one broken tile in there. <laughs> and I remember when I first was dancing there, one of my first times, I didn't know about that. And then I just noticed everybody had been avoiding this one spot on the floor. I was like, well, there's <laughs> yeah. space. And I step in it. Yeah. Then there's yeah, this yeah. horrible noise. Everybody looks over. Yep. That guy's new. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was, yeah. Like I said, it was a beautiful, beautiful restaurant. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was, I was lucky enough to, to spend, you know, I played there a few times and spend my early years of on that scene with that place still open. Yeah. I think it was Friday nights. I think it was. Yeah. So <laughs> good memories. Yeah. 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 So there are probably other people listening to this right now, Adam, either guitarists or other musicians who have kind of been bitten by that tango bug and ready to jump down that rabbit hole. So what advice do you have for those curious musicians out there um, in their communities who are thinking of starting their own tango music groups? Well, there's there's a lot you can do nowadays. I actually, not to plug myself, but I, I have to. <laughs> uh, I have a blog on my website, adamtully.com, nice. which is called How to Play Tango Guitar. What is Tango Guitar? And I have these 10 uh, entries, these mm -hmm. articles that are detailed that are about the style. So if you're a guitarist, that's um, obviously geared towards you. And if you are a musician, I think there's also a lot of value in it because... What I tried to do was break down, you know, all of the things that uh, I went through when I learned how to play tango music. Mm -hmm. From what is tango music, what are the good recordings to listen to, what are the elements of the language that you need to work on, what are the keys that you need to work on. Um, so, you know, I talk about things like repertoire. I talk about things like idiom, the style, the actual, the way the the way that the music is different from other types of music, you know, mm -hmm. that type of thing. Uh, finding old masters to the extent that you still can. There still are some mm -hmm. uh, in Argentina uh, and around the world. But it's it's kind of a guideline. Like if you're feeling the itch and you want to jump into this, that's one place to start. Um, there's so much on the Internet now, but I guess it's it's hard to sometimes to, to weed through things. As a musician, you really have to listen to a lot of music. Mm -hmm. uh, you also have to discover music. I have a, a seminar that I do called the Tango Hitchhiker's Guide. <laughs> and it's a seminar for musicians, non-musicians, dancers. You know, you don't have to be trained in music. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of a guide to the di diversity of tango music because mm -hmm. this is one thing that I think a lot of us would, we would get a lot out of expanding our, our listening mm -hmm. because there are these currents that are so strong in our lives. We've talked about them before, the, the social dance music of the 40s mm -hmm. and the music of Astro Piazzolla. Those are two like gigantic things that, are, that invade us mm -hmm. you know, from, all, <laughs> from all sides. Mm -hmm. you know, musicians tend to enter into tango through Piazzolla, mm -hmm. and dancers tend to enter through dancing, social dance. So um, right there, those are two styles of tango, but there are... There are something. There's so many more. I made subcategories. I made something like 18 subcategories of like types of tango that you can discover and mm. listen to. And I have a Spotify playlist called the Tango Hitchhiker's Guide, which is just one track from each subcategory. Mm. And I'm working on making a whole bunch of playlists. Mm -hmm. So, listening and and expanding the styles that you're aware of is mm -hmm. a great thing. And then you know. We talked. We started out this interview talking about technology right. in the in the times of lockdown. It's so amazing nowadays to be able to 
be connected with the entire world if you can find uh, the best way to, to make use of those connections. So on Facebook, for example, there's groups. There's a group about Tango Guitar on Facebook that I'm a member of where it's just people asking questions and sharing arrangements and scores and videos and you know trying to figure things out. You can do video lessons. I mean, I teach lessons online. Mm-hmm. A lot of people that I know teach lessons online. Uh, you can watch seminars. I don't know if you guys know Ignacio Varchowski. Um, he is yes, the yes. founder Not of, but yeah, yeah. He, he's he's a, a bassist and a producer and educator. He founded the Orquesta Escuela, the orchestra school, hmm. and he's a, a radio host on the uh, Por Cuatro, which is the FM radio station, Tango station here. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I'm a columnist on his show. I do oh, a monthly nice. um, I do a monthly segment uh, that is a Tango guitar jam session mm-hmm. live on the radio. Um, and he's a great educator. He's got a seminar which is about listening to and recognizing the fundamental styles. So what does Di Sarli sound like? What does D'Arienzo sound like? Mm-hmm. And what are the things to listen for? And it's really enriching. Um, he's been doing that. I know he does it in English when he teaches with um, Tango for Musicians at Reed because we taught there together a couple years. Um, but he does it in – I know he's doing it in Spanish. So if you're nice. a Spanish speaker mm-hmm. and you look up Ignacio Barczowski, he's been doing live versions of his Tango seminar. And that's a really enriching way to learn more about this amazing music. And you could you can do it from anywhere in the world now. Mm-hmm. You, you couldn't do that. When I when I got into this music, there was yeah. no way to do it. <laughs> So, so that's part of my advice. Mm-hmm. Read my blog and <laughs> and mm-hmm. and try to find the tools and resources on the internet that mm-hmm. that can enrich you. Nice. No, it's great and that you come, have and then that. Come to, Go ahead. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No and then come to Argentina. Yes, that's fundamental. <laughs> come here if you can come here once a year, once every two years. Mm-hmm. Spend spend a week. You know, come down here and meet other musicians. Look me up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll take you on a tango guitar tour. Nice around nice. the city. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great. You have this blog, you're creating this resource. And I think it's really important to know that a lot of guys like you, all the musicians are, uh, who are just have all this rich knowledge of tango. They're, they're incredibly generous with what they know. It's just it's really nice to hear the stories that you had. Like I mean, you went right up and asked this tango master, will you give me lessons? And sure. Yeah. And then there are a lot of stories like that where, where uh, these wonderful stories of generosity about the, the knowledge of tango. So don't be shy, ask, and yeah. reach out. And I and, and I'll add to that, that it's, I think it's become more generous or the attitude has changed with this current generation. Mm-hmm. I've heard stories about guys, uh, about old maestros mm. uh, that were very, protective mm-hmm. even amongst themselves it was sort of mm-hmm. like don't ask me i won't give you an arrangement don't look at my hands don't copy me <laughs> yeah um and i think because we had this resurgence the music it felt like the music almost died mm. and from about the year 2000 until now we've had this huge boom i think everyone who's participated in it and it has this attitude of man we just gotta we gotta spread this information around yeah um so i i definitely agree with what you said you will find that you'll find in most of the uh greatest tango musicians in argentina today mm-hmm. you'll find that they're very open and, yeah. and willing to, to share with you awesome awesome all right so your website adamtully.com i'll have that in our show notes any other and also uh you're on spotify and, and facebook as well that's right i've um facebook instagram YouTube. Uh, I do my daily streams from those three platforms. Okay. Um, and then, yes, Adam Tully uh, Guitar 
Adam's Holy Guitar on all of those places, and then okay. on Spotify too. Spotify, I have a couple of different public place, playlists about tango and Argentinian folk music. Great, great. All right, I'll have that in my show notes so people will be able to look you up. Wonderful. Great. Well, I, Joe, thank you so much for having me. I, I look forward to, to to hearing from people around the world, and you know, I'm an open book. I'm, I'm I love I love this music and this culture, so uh, don't be shy. Anything you want to know. <laughs> Yes. Well, let me know. Yeah. And Joe, let me know when you come to Buenos Aires. I, I will. Next time you're here. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to, to come out sometime. All right, Adam. Well, thank you again for taking the time to talk to me. I know you've got a lot of things on your plate, but it's awesome that I uh, got a chance to catch up with you. Likewise, Joe. Stay safe. You stay too. home. All right. <laughs> thank you. Yep. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, that was fun. So as of this moment, May 2020, many of us in the world are still in lockdown because of the COVID-19 pandemic and, of course, unable to go out tango dancing. This is affecting musicians and dancers alike. And I really liked what Adam said about not wasting time complaining about what we cannot do at the moment. And instead, let's be creative and see what we are able to do. And he's been connecting with other musicians online and also thinking of new projects. And as a result, he's discovered new opportunities that might not have come up otherwise. I also liked what Adam said about the challenges of creating new tango music and how Astor Piazzolla and Golden Age tangos act as magnets, in a sense, that are difficult to avoid when thinking of new ideas. And the best thing to do, as Adam said, is to create something that expresses your personality. You've been influenced by other artists and had experiences that inspired you. That's all going to come through in whatever it is you create. But make something that's close to your heart, and don't be afraid to share it. And as we've mentioned several times in previous shows, it's important to note that tango musicians these days are largely very generous. They're generous with their time and their knowledge. There is a big effort by people like Adam and others to keep tango music alive and to keep moving it forward. So if you're curious about knowing more about tango music or trying to get your own music group started, do reach out to folks like Adam for help and knowledge and check out the resources they're creating. You'll find lots of helpful stuff. So thank you again, Adam, for sharing your knowledge and telling us your story and for your time. And a big thank you to all you listeners for tuning in. I know life is really busy for all of you, and it means a lot that you've made time to listen to this show. To help keep the podcast going, I'm accepting donations through PayPal, or you can support the show through Subscribestar. Links are in the description. Okay, that's it for today. You've been listening to Joe's Tango Podcast. I'm Joe Yang, and I'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>